and welcome to the Marvel Wrap, a 20-part podcast where we uh, web-sling through the chronological Marvel Cinematic Universe movies in preparation for Avengers Endgame in April. Like barely a month away, but even mad. Uh, my name is Simon Collum. I'm a writer, a podcaster, a fan of the MCU, but I am supported uh, by the uh, Black Widow. Inter- <laughs> you interviewed the Black Widow drop writers of the yeah. comic book uh, person, Sabina Stenz. <laughs> Hi, that's a lovely intro. I was Captain Marvel last week. I'm Natasha Romanoff this week. Excellent. I could, yeah, I'm digging this. Yeah. I should I should have said our own MJ. Our own I, MJ, it yeah. Didn't, it didn't, our own Aunt May. I think I'm closer to Aunt May's age. <laughs> we could have you. Think, we could be our be, I'll be the Aunt May of this week. I, I can dig that, yeah. Okay, and then we have our uh, writer for the for all the magazines you probably read at home. Uh, this is our, our own Eddie Brock. Uh, what? Yeah. What? I don't want to be Eddie Norman. Brock. What? No. <laughs> he's a journalist. That's a terrible <laughs> intro. He's, he's a bad he's a guy. He's a bad he's a guy. Well, no, 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 that's just ways. no. That's more. That's more venom. You know, mucking around with him, isn't it? I mean, it's not really. His fault, is it? I mean, he's just a bit like man, Simon. You know, I thought I thought we turned the corner when you sang for me, but now we're back to square one. It's terrible. Well, um, we we we're, we're on Twitter uh, at Marvel Rap. <laughs> you trying to get out of that one, aren't you? <laughs> uh, and obviously at Marvel Rap, we we are obviously all getting very excited, and we always uh, retweet each other's stuff as well and put some yeah. new stuff. So follow us there. You can. <laughs> We can be emailed at marvelrappodcast at gmail.com. Uh, this week is the Birdman episode uh, because, of course, Michael Keaton, who played Birdman in the Best Picture Oscar winner, is now an actual Birdman in uh, in Spider-Man Homecoming, which is our big one for this week. And then we're going to be talking Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Series 4, which is just mental, that series. And we're <laughs> going to get to that later as well. So a lot of fun stuff to come up. First up, though, it's Spider-Man Homecoming in the Birdman episode. Spider-Man Homecoming uh, was released on the 5th of July 2017, two days before my birthday. Um, It made $880 million at the box office, um, which is only a tiny bit more than Venom made uh, just last year. So pretty pretty mad. Um, And it's directed by John Watts, who directed films like Cop Car and Clown. Neither I've neither I've seen. He's a bit of a bit of a you know unknown. You know he's no Sam Raimi, put it that way. Uh, But He's made this film. I am. Um, this was pretty exciting to go into. I was very excited because I thought Tom Holland was amazing in Civil War. Mm-hmm. Um, Amon, what about you? How were you going into or preparing yourself for another installment of Spider-Man? I was excited. I was excited. As you say, uh, Tom Holland in Civil War was fantastic. And I was very, very excited to see more of him. And I was intrigued to see how also they were going to develop the relationship between Tony Stark and Peter Parker, which, again, they had begun in Civil War in a really, really impressive, fun way. Um, the fact that Robert Downey Jr. was going to be in the film was definitely a boon to the film. Uh, the trailers did not set me on fire, and I think they revealed a little bit too much, if memory serves. 
Um, although it's funny, there's a couple of massive shots in that trailer which are not actually in the film, uh, which is yeah. something which, which Marvel have done uh, in uh, other films also. Um, but yeah, Spider-Man Hong Kong is definitely an example of them doing that. But uh, yeah, I, I was excited to see this movie for sure. And I think um, it justified the excitement for the most part. Yeah. What about yourself, Sabita? Yeah, I was, I was, you know, intrigued. I was like Hammond said. I, I thought he did. He was really good in in Civil War. Um, I was at the. I was. I remember at the time that everyone was saying, "Oh, Spider Man are getting like younger. <laughs> the actors are getting a lot significantly younger." Um, but and and at the time there was a lot of people saying, "Oh, it's a shame. It's not Miles Morales." Um, he was yeah. getting his own film. Um, but a lot of people have said he's close. Um, the character's very similar to more than Miles than Peter has been before on screen, which was interesting to to hear. Um, but so I, I wasn't sure what to expect. I because at this point we had had five Spider-Man films in in quite a small number of in you know kind of a short space of time. But I think he, I really like this one. I think he's. So, I think Tom Holland's really good. It's probably one of my. I think it's my favorite Spider-Man, apart from of the Into Spider-Verse. Um, but um, yeah, I I really like it. I think it's very sweet, very nice, good film. That, that that's a really good point in terms of whether it's your favorite Spider-Man because I don't think it, it necessarily is for everybody. Amon, mm. what about you? Is it your favorite Spider-Man film? <laughs> I, see, there I, don't know, I don't know if it's my favorite Spider-Man film, but I like him as Spider-Man. I think he's a good Spider-Man. Without a doubt, without yeah. a doubt. I think Tom Holland is the best Peter Parker. Yeah, I don't think you're going to find many people disputing that. Um, as well as my favorite Spider-Man film, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse probably has that That's honor right now. Yeah. And yeah. I think okay. I think Spider-Man Two and and, and and this film are kind of neck and neck for different reasons. I think there are things which Spider-Man Homecoming does better than Spider-Man Two. I think there's things which Spider-Man Two does better than Spider-Man Homecoming. But in terms of you know overall, I put those two neck and neck. Um, but to be honest, and you know this has been. I've seen uh, a lot of people talking about this, especially in the wake of Into the Spider-Verse. Um, because that movie was so amazing, Spider-Verse, yeah. pe- people have been sort of, you know, comparing it to the MCU Spidey and like, like you know, asking themselves, like, how can, they co- how can they go back and that sort of thing. And to be honest, for me, I'm just happy that we're getting great Spider-Man content in multiple mediums. Not only in the animated mm-hmm. medium, not only in the MCU, but there's also been a recent uh, Spider-Man game on PS4, which was phenomenal. And for me, mm. all three of those Spider-Man-related products get to the core of who Spider-Man and who of, and of who Peter Parker and or Miles Morales is. And as long as you're doing that, um, you can be to the the you know you can add all the different quirks around that as you like. There's actually in the Spider-Man game, um, it gives you the option to have sort of skins from the movie and yeah, and skins uh, from not, not only Spider-Man 2, but from Spider-Man Homecoming. And I'm sure they're going to incorporate uh, the Spider-Verse suit in there if they haven't already. And, you know, that's what, you know, I, I'm, I'm simplifying it, but in my respect, Spider-Man Homecoming is just a skin. It's, it's still Spider-Man. It's just that, you know, this particular suit was created by Tony Stark because this particular Peter Parker exists in the MCU where the, where, you know, the Avengers exist 
and all the rest of it. And I know a lot of people, you know, get, get a little bit upset with the fact that, you know, Peter Parker, who's very sort of, you know, he's he's not a hero typically who has a lot of tech in his suit, and yet this super because it's made by Tony Stark, has a lot of stuff which in the comics Peter would be sort of making by himself, you know, in terms of you know, different types of webbing and that sort of thing. But that didn't bother me. Um, again, I was interested to see how that relationship between Tony Stark and Peter Parker de- uh, developed in the movie. And they got to the core of who Peter Parker is in the movie, um, which is the most important thing for me. And it, and it has such a great... The beginning, I found, is really fun. Uh, really fun. That hot, hmm. that, you know, shooting from a camera phone, um, you know, his excitement about being part of the Avengers, going back to that civil war and all that type of thing. I, I thought that was just a great beginning. I kind of feel what, that, that that is Tom Holland, though. Um, in um, the... I think I feel like he's kind of like that all the time because he's young well, an, an, actor, an actor will channel those things no but i, I believe, think he is <laughs> he is that kind of and i yeah. just love that that bit when um happy hogan says you know what are you doing <laughs> you just yeah. feel like that probably because obviously he's a bit like mark ruffalo he's always kind of excitably letting <laughs> spoilers slip in interviews um yeah. I mean, just very briefly, not to get into it too much, but that that point when Mark Ruffalo spoiled uh, Infinity War literally like a year before is just kind <laughs> of amazing fantastic. in so many ways. <laughs> I, mean, I would normally just go way off on a tangent, but that was like an amazing moment <laughs> yeah. to rewatch in <laughs> yes. hindsight. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, what, what's interesting is chrono- chronologically, that not that it's a massive deal, really. I think all these films at this point, Spider-Man Homecoming, Doctor Strange, Black Panther, they all have this weird kind of period where they're set roughly around Civil War. And, you know, which one you watch first is is really just a preference. I mean, this we had obviously... A, we had a lot of discussions about which <laughs> ones to include first. And, and it, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, the, the reality is that Doctor Strange takes place over a very long period of time. The amount of time it takes for him to have the surgery, the amount of time it takes for him to train to be become Doctor Strange, as it were. Like, it's a very long period of time that covers a lot of films, so you can't yeah. really just easily place where you should watch that. And obviously with Spider-Man beginning literally in Civil War mm-hmm. means that arguably that would be the one that follows straight after. But the main chunk of this film is taken about two months like later, I believe. Uh, and Black Panther, by comparison, I think is very short in terms of the, all the events. And I think Black Panther actually all is quite consistent in the in its time period pretty much except from a couple of flashbacks but that one is obviously all again only a short while after civil war as well but we've gone with this one first just because of that beginning where it is in civil war and that seems to sit well with me anyway um but in any case like we've got equally that period where michael keaton's character the vulture mm-hmm. that, that's right yeah. he's a vulture isn't he? uh so the vulture he's like he's obviously a consequence of the Avengers film and the, 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 of the New incident York. and the Chitari and the Battle of New York, but yeah. Don't forget, though, there, there was um, – they've uh, Marvel have acknowledged this um, about the, the time and the year because obviously the Battle of New York was 2012 and and uh homecoming is meant to take place eight years later which brings us to 2020 oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that's so they have actually they said um yeah we we kind of messed that up a little yeah bit. that is wrong yeah that is and so, so, yeah 
So you're like, no, people, you know, not not quite eight years. Um, so it's not obviously set in the future. It's set in the at the time it was set in our present. So, um, but it's a very clever setup. With oh, this, yeah. Uh, it, well, Michael Keaton's character is called Ad- is Tombs, Adrian Tombs, um, and he's a character who he believes that this is that there is an there's an unfairness to this. Like, yeah. why shouldn't he be able to make money off? the consequence of that why shouldn't he be part of it and obviously you have that great confrontation with the, i think it's not shield but something like shield isn't it at the very start where they're kind yes. of stopping him from uh you know continuing the job and their families and all that kind of stuff so there's a really interesting kind of uh you know element to that villain which makes him very interesting in this one amon what do you think of michael keaton i thought it was really really great um one of the best villains uh well you know i say this people love to hark on the MCU in terms of the, the, the villains of the MCU. There's a villain problem, that's what they say. But Marvel's Phase 3 has, I think, every single villain in Marvel's Phase 3 movies has been great. Um, or yeah. at, the, at the very minimum, good. Um, I mean, just consider you got, you got uh, Asian tombs in this, you got Zemo in Civil War, who we've discussed as like one of the few people, aside from Thanos, to actually win and actually, you know, you know beat the heroes. Um in Thor Ragnarok, which we'll get to, you've got Hela, uh, who, you know, really even enjoy her. Kate Blanchett is great. Uh, what are the phase three films have we discussed so far? Um, the, 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 Guardians the, of the Galaxy Volume 2. Yeah, Ego. Yeah. Great, great film. I mean, I could go down the I list, but but yeah, um, I think Michael Keaton definitely joins those ranks. I actually have a funny story it just reminded me of, because um, this movie has a phenomenal twist. Um, in that, just yeah. to set, just set, mm-hmm. to set up a little bit, uh, Peter Parker is getting ready to take uh, his date Liz to the prom. Little does he know yeah. that the villain who he's been chasing uh, is Liz's father, and he gets to the door to, to Liz's house, and who opens the door but Liz's father. And in the screening, everyone had like a big intake of breath, and then within three seconds, everyone was applauding. Um, which you don't you don't see every day in a film critic screening, but that is what a Marvel film inspires sometimes. And I think when it comes to twists in the MCU, this one ranks near the top. It was a fantastic twist, and that subsequent uh, car ride between Liz, yeah. Peter, and uh, Tombs, Adrian is extremely suspenseful and is barely no, th- there's not any action in that scene whatsoever and it's probably the most suspenseful scene in the entire movie it's just um, tension isn't it it's just yeah. so tense yeah you just feel you're just like it's a young kid it's no young kid you know <laughs> don't do it it's a child it's incredibly clever how it does transition from that high school context which uh, you know they always said that they said this about the amazing spider-man films where it's like oh we're trying to channel a bit of john hughes and i think this is Homecoming does it better than Amazing Spider-Man ever did. Um, but, you know, like that transition from the high school context and then and the kind of the villain and, and all the kind of Spider-Man stuff and being able to merge them so carefully together so that that twist, when it happens, does feel like it comes out of nowhere. Yeah. You don't anticipate it. For some reason, you're like, okay, we're now into the kind of high school thing and we know what's going to happen here and then poof there's the curveball and it's just it's it's again the credit to the director in how he balanced those two things and sent managed to subtly 
separate them so that we could we would kind of be conned into thinking we're in a different film almost you know it's it's nice because you were saying like michael keaton who who did birdman obviously he used to be batman <laughs> so yeah. it's quite yeah, cool. and he was a good batman you think about it people you know now they kind of like oh yeah he wasn't the best but he was a really good batman he added kind of a layer of i don't want to say creepiness but you know weirdness to batman um that i don't i don't think he had the kind of brooding intensity of of batman as christian bale did Tell me what the trigger is. No, he didn't. He just turned back to life. You didn't have that, like, you know, that kind of, I don't, you know, I don't want to say angst, but, you know, he, he kind of does in a way, like um, Batman's of late. So um, he was a good Batman, I, and it's fun to see him, like, do another film, you know, like this, but albeit as the villain. I think it's fun. It's it's interesting. I mean, I, I my first comparison to him within the MCU is Whiplash and the kind of idea of <laughs> using old metal and chunky metal. Obviously, it's not the same physicality and it's not a very different character. But in terms of the way Vulture presents himself, is yeah. I just thought of that kind of same kind of ramshackle kind of look to him. Kind of like a, a kind of a mirror image of Tony Stark in some ways, if you want to talk about metal to fly and and do whatever as your alias and again when we talk about all the actors i mean again it's just surrounded by these incredible actors you've marisa got tomei. You know, marisa <laughs> tomei you've got there's uh you know actors from fargo and orange is the new black and you know what i mean like they just get these incredible actors and even uh jacob uh batalon who plays his friend ned oh he's it's good. just just love him just absolutely love this guy and it, that's what it makes is you just want to be around these people they're so likable all you, of them do you remember when um marisa tomei was cast as aunt may and everyone's like oh they got a young hot aunt may and it's and it kind of but it works because obviously peter's a young kid he's like 15 years old so it's more likely he's gonna have an aunt who's younger than a, someone who's yeah. more at the age of his like grandma or an elderly then or like a you know an elderly aunt but have you ever seen um because obviously Marissa Tomei and Robert Downey Jr have worked together like three or four times um in total have you ever seen Only You it's a really it's a film in Marissa Tomei and Robert Downey Jr set in Venice I used to be obsessed with that film but yeah she's great she is really she is all those things I just wish she had more to do yeah I, I do too it looks like she will do in Far From Home I think they've given her a little bit more but who knows I I don't like the fact that almost every other character seems to be pointing out how hot out May is. But she deals with it the way it's, she kind of just does I mean, that. I, don't, I, 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 like, I like how she deals with it, but, <laughs> you know, you can be, the the, the, the screenplay script needs, needs to be better than that, I think. Yeah. Um, but I think the final 10 seconds of this film are probably probably the most exciting development for Art May in any oh, of the live-action yeah. Spider-Man films we've seen so far. Because now she's in on the secret, and I think that could lead to some very interesting scenes between Peter 
and Aunt May in Spider-Man Far From Home. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm excited for that. Uh, and it's also one of the best endings to a Marvel film ever. Yeah, uh, and it's called so. the best, best post-credit scene. Oh my best. God. That post-credit scene, <laughs> I remember everyone was saying the balls on Marvel to actually do yeah. that, to say <laughs> that. Because at the time, obviously, they weren't really, I don't think any any Infinity War trailers had been released or people wanted more, oh. wanted, you know, drop the yeah. trailer, drop. And just to say, you know, you've waited all this time something so disappointing <laughs> and how many more of these yeah it's great yeah, and yeah. um i love the how they incorporated the uh fitness um things throughout the film the cat hi i'm captain americans mm. so you know that and that one with the chair that's become a meme so the ultimate me meme yes the oh, the oh it's so good i saw some epic usage of it the other day on twitter actually because uh i think somebody used it and they had the liner so you wasted time writing fake film reviews. I saw that. I believe, yes. I believe there were reference in Captain Marvel. I can't be sure, but I think yes, that was it. it, was. it um, was. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's that's pretty perfect. And I will definitely be using that meme uh, going forward for sure. <laughs> and, but also, there's they're setting up so much for the future. I mean, I think we can talk about like again when we're into Phase Three with all these films. There's so much setting up. So, for example, you know, obviously Zendaya is just incredible as uh, Michelle MJ Jones yeah. uh, and that's a nice you know, reveal at the end but like but her, her entire like every time she speaks she doesn't even speak that much but when she does every time it's a zinger you're just like perfect yeah. that is it literally makes the scene you know um so by the end by the time you when she's like but my mates call me MJ or whatever mm -hmm. it is she says you know you just think to yourself like Yes, I want to see more of this person. So that's amazing. Uh, let alone that little uh, tiger that runs across at the end, which is very, just very, I don't know, just so clever just to kind of place it in there where you just think, oh, the whole tiger and MJ calling him tiger and all that, without saying it, just using it like that. Yeah. And uh, Donald Glover as well is in this as uh, like just a kind of criminal buying some weapons from tombs. I'm hoping Donald Glover will be in more. But I'm not sure. Well, see, this is the thing because Donald Glover is revealed. I mean, he reveals it uh, in this movie. He is the uncle to one Miles Morales. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where they go. Honestly, I mean, prior to this movie, I was one of the people who was sort of, you know, not you know, outright questioning it, especially after Civil War, because I saw what Tom Holland can do. Um, but you know, as Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse proved, there is a lot that can be done with Miles Morales and the fact that he is um, not as um, a, not not only not as well known as Peter Parker, but not as sort of milked as Peter Parker has been in the past. There's a lot you can do with him, especially if you're introducing him to uh, this Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, so I, you know, I, I was one of those people who were who was advocating for Miles Morales to come even sooner. Um, and he hasn't come yet, but um, I was I was advocating for him to, for him to be in, in this movie. Um, so we will. I, I think we will see more of him going forward, though. And uh, now that Spider Man has done what it's done as well, that will only put more onus mm -hmm. and I think make Marvel even more comfortable with the notion of introducing Miles Morales into the film and. I know that they, because, you know, Tom Holland is so young, I know that they've charted out Spider-Man films. For the next eight years or something like that? Or the next eight films or eight years or eight films? 
I would not be surprised if Miles Morales actually gets properly introduced in this film. Yeah. I'll not be surprised if the third film would have Miles Morales and Peter Parker fighting side by side. Um, I did uh, also like how, you know, you had a very, because uh, it's a teenager, it's about teenagers, it's a teenage film in that respect. Um, you know, it could play it down, but I like how just in the in the way that these kids, these kids are really like intelligent children and yeah. i think you know that can often be like oh you know these are nerds and all that type of thing it's really nice that that's not the case and in fact you know flash uh, the bully you know what i mean he is very much on the he's a clever guy you know what i mean he's on this despite the fact that he, he's a he's a bully so I, I like the fact that it's a bit unconventional with how it depicts the kind of schoolyard as it were and that's that's a lot of fun no i wasn't that i wasn't that smart when i was 16 so but even the teacher is like you know yeah. protesting is patriotic which yeah. is kind of cool and that whole bit when the washington monument and it's That's like oh good. you know it's a, yeah. built by slaves and yeah. that guy <laughs> just waves his hand like well, yeah. i don't know yeah. it's like it's not politically it's not politically ignorant you know what i mean exactly, and, it, yeah. and, and it's not uncomfortable to kind of make the point you know what i mean with you know it doesn't play it down in that respect it's fun it's obviously light-hearted and so on but it doesn't it, it doesn't make it's it very too current yeah it's very current yeah. and it's yeah and it's and it's and it doesn't i don't think it tries to be hip either it just mm. goes yeah. with whatever's happening yeah i'm i'm glad you guys mentioned that you know that these guys are just kids because yeah it's i mean for me anyway it was easy to forget that and then we get this film's best scene, um, which is happens when you know, in the final act when uh, Peter confronts Vulture and basically Vulture buries him under the ton of rubble, and Peter is forced to sort of you know dig deep and push himself out and then go and chase after Vulture. It really does hit you in the moment that Peter Parker is a fifteen-year-old kid. At some point in the movie, at least for me, watching it for the first time, I'd kind of forgotten that. So that scene was very, very powerful. And it's obviously a direct homage to the comics as well. Um, and it plays beautifully. And Tom Holland really, really, really kills it in that scene in particular. I've got to uh, tell you my favourite joke from the old uh, Spider-Man. Oh, Homecoming. What, what, do you, what do you think it's going to be? Any, any guesses? <sighs> Give me a clue. Oh, my God. Come on. Well, it's obviously involving uh, Donald Glover. Remember me? Uh, hey. hey, I need information. You can give it to me now. Sorry, chill. Come man. on. What happened to your voice? What do you mean? What happened to my voice? I heard you by the bridge. I know what a girl sound like. I'm not a girl. Oh, I'm a boy. I mean, I'm a, I'm a man. I don't care what she was. Boy, girl. I'm not a girl. I'm a man. Come on, man. Look, who is selling these weapons? I need to know. Give me names or else. You ain't never done this before, huh? Deactivate interrogation mode. Oh, oh, the uh, the the interrogation Interrog voice. Yeah, <laughs> 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 that's a great joke. My, I think the thing which I laughed at the most was uh, Tom Holland's very, very good Thor impression. It is I, Thor, son of Odin. No, 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 no. That's definitely no. That's definitely not what you want to do. Which is great. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. Son of Odin. Yeah, I just, that was great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I just love it. But things like this are just, this is the thing is that it's just, again, when I think about the other Spider-Man films, I mean, I always, I enjoyed them and they were great, but I think the fun that Tom Holland is having and the fun that Peter Parker is having, and when you, it's infectious. Like oh, yeah. when he, that whole opening, when it's just his first day at school, he's just desperate to get out. Mm-hmm. And then you see him being that friendly neighborhood Spider-Man and helping grannies cross the road and know the direction. And then you see... <laughs> Do a flip. You see, Do a flip. You see him. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. This yeah. kind of weird. You just. It's brilliant because it's like it's exactly. It makes sense. There's something about it which really works. And yet, you know, when he's like cocking up the guy trying to break into his own car, and he, you see I love the consequences. That, yeah. Just played. It just feels so true. It's true to his age, and I think yes. that's what is so much fun about it. I just enjoy it. And like I said, it just sets the film up so well from the get go, and then it's just great from. And that's why I think it's nice that they've retained that he doesn't, he he is the same character, you know, it's the same kid that we see eventually in uh, Infinity War when he has that really good action. Well, we'll come to it when he, you know, he meets Doctor Strange. Oh, we're using our made up names, you know, it's kind of, yeah, it's it's nice. Yeah, I think he plays it really, really well. Do you think um, Iron Man should have been in this film? I know That's, you're going to say no. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm not necessarily going to say That's no. That's um, definitely yes. But I'm just, I'm just, I, I just think it's definitely one of those things which is like this added element, which you know the other Spider-Man films never relied on. Um, but you know, if you wanted to be a real cynic, you could be like it was kind of guaranteeing a bigger audience. You know what I mean? I don't necessarily think that. I think it ties it more into the MCU because obviously he's he kind of recruits this kid and then obviously he has this um, progression and then obviously Infinity War, you know, he's finally an Avenger and this is like, I want to be an Avenger, I want to be an Avenger. If they, you know, obviously they wanted Spider-Man the MCU and I think he's, it, it works very effectively. I like the fact that, uh, mm. Tony was was in the movie. Um, yeah. Again, I was really really excited to see that relationship uh, develop, and especially in the absence of Uncle Ben um, mm. in this movie, which I think is a great move. Also, you have to factor in that the mentor mentee relationship is something which we haven't really seen much of in the MCU. Given where we now find Tony as a character, it was very very interesting for him to take on that role and. I was intrigued to see, you know, how they report, yeah, yeah, and they report their country and how they were going to make each other develop. Because I definitely think, you know, Tony sees something obviously in Peter. I love that line when he said, "I wanted to be you," and he said, "I wanted you to be better." Yeah, yeah, mm. I love that. I just think yeah. it's it's exactly as you say. It's so, just he wants to make this kid's, you know, he doesn't want to make this kid get credit he just wants to this kid to be someone incredible and i yeah i think it's handled very well yeah so yeah i i enjoyed tony's presence and again i get why people you know i, I understand why some certain people are mad with the whole tony and the peter like parker suit well i was gonna focus more on like the peter parker suit of it all because uh are some people who are mad about mm. that, but I don't mind that as long as you get to the core of who Spider Man is. And the core of who Spider Man is for me is the guy who is biting off more than he can chew, which he does in this movie. Of course, Spider Man is the guy who 
you know, chooses to do the right thing instead of doing what's right for him, which we see in the end of this movie where he leaves Liz at the dance and goes to chase after Vulture. It's those sort of things which make Spider-Man Spider-Man, and this film gets that right, and it gets to the core of who that character is. And I think as if as long as you're doing that fundamental thing, you can it gives you much more leeway with everything around it and the bells and whistles and whatnot. And I happen to enjoy the bells and whistles for the most part as well. So I enjoyed this movie. I will say, I will say though, that there are some legitimate criticisms to it, um, like the fact that the scripts or, 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 the, or the times in which Spider-Man is being heroic are the times where Spider-Man has often caused the problem in the first place, and I think that's yeah. that, that's a valid criticism for. There was one uh, the, uh, one thing which is worth mentioning is how the film kind of the arc of the film is that uh, Peter Parker wants to be an Avenger. Yeah. And therefore, when you get to the end and he says, nah, I'm all right, it seems like that seems to be against everything the whole film's been about. Do you, that never sat badly with me. I, I, I always felt bad. it worked. No, I think but... he's, he's, no, I don't think it sits badly at all. And I, I don't. I was going to say, I disagree with that. I think, again, critics of the MCU will say in the very next movie, once you see Spider-Man, he is now an Avenger. But that was not sort of his choice. It's more of a matter no. of circumstance. Yeah. And I like the way that whole pl- that the whole thing played out. And again, Infinity Wars and film. I'm very very excited to get to so we can discuss yeah, this in detail. Um, but um, but yeah, I I like where his journey ends in this one, and I like the, I like where they pick it up. Okay, um, let's get into uh, costumes, um, and we're going to Louise uh, Frogley, whose last one was Iron Man three. Yeah. So uh, tell us about Louise Frogley, uh, Sabina. Um, basically, for this one, it was that they wanted to keep the suit very Ditko inspired. They wanted to, um, it's a different suit from Civil War, um, and they wanted to make it look um, very fresh but very classic. And they wanted it to look like something um, like it had been um, come out of the comic book. Um, they wanted a return to that, you know, because it was still in the early thing about Sony and and you know and Disney and and things and Marvel and things like that. So um, Sony allowed Marvel to take a, a Marvel approach to it, if that makes sense. You know, they they mm-hmm. kind of let them do what they want. So, but they wanted it to be a very simple Spider-Man suit because he is. As we've said, he's a he's a young kid. He's a young guy. Obviously, you got his his um, the suit Peter makes, which is very cool, and it looks homemade. It looks like you know the kind of suits that you can buy um, off a peg or something like when when you're a kid and you try and emulate. <laughs> Did you ever do that? No, you try and do I, that. Do that. Now. I had a Thunderbirds outfit. Yeah, but, you, know. you know, it looks like something you could just get a, a hoodie or you could get a jumper. Go, this is my, you know, my little my uniform. So I think it feels very, it feels very fresh. But um, it was a very, very difficult uh, suit to create. They had to get all this texture and like dyed fabric, and they had something like hundreds of like seamstresses working at all night it was very much phantom thread i kind of visualize phantom thread when i think about the process of of the making of this suit was insane like women apparently women you know the women seamstresses were were throwing scissors around the room because it was just so difficult to get right and they had to do numerous tests um because they wanted it to be technically perfect they got it in the end um 
but apart, you know, that's the suit. But apart from that, um, obviously, as we said, um, they're in a high school. They're high school kids, so you get a lot of um, you know jeans, t-shirts, shirts open, shirts open, t-shirts underneath. We all did that. Sometimes we still do. Um, classic, classic, classic look. Um, I love that. Um, Musa Tomei is our maze. Um, May is wearing like those kind of she looks very 70s inspired she likes high-waisted jeans you know and tank tops and things like that um Zendaya has a great Sylvia Plath shirt that I want you know they've dressed these kids as kids and and I think there's something very refreshing about that so apart from like the suit with all the technical elements um yeah they did yeah it's a very nice job it was very it was a very classic not too elaborate film, if that makes sense. Apart from the suit, it's 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 just full of color, isn't it's it? That's what's so color. beautiful it's about it. It's just the palette is just yeah, it's beautiful. beautiful. Again, mean, we've established that one thing I love is a lot of color. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. and that that is is definitely the case with Spider Man. Feels alive. Yeah, it's alive. It's vibrant. It's as blue, you know, blue as the New York sky. It's just so. It's yeah. They. Um, I don't know whatever. You know, it's, we've talked about Guardians being a very colourful film, and I think this one—it's just—it's just sunshine, isn't it? You think of this, yeah. you just think of sunshine, and and yeah, I think they replicated that in the in the outfits, as, in the costumes as well. Okay, um, let's move on to the score again. We've got uh, Michael uh, Giacchino. Is that right, Giacchino? Yes. It's a hard G. <laughs> the G is not silent. Um, <laughs> yes, Michael Caccino is on score duties once again, and he joins a distinguished list of composers who have gotten to score the web crawler, not least of which Danny Elfman, who did uh, the Sam Raimi movies, and he did them very, very well, I should add, uh, and also Hans just, Zimmer. Just to, with regards to Danny Elfman, yeah. um, just to... I like Danny Elfman. He's all right. I like Danny Elfman. when you listen to the Spider-Man soundtrack and you listen to the Men in Black soundtrack and (laughs) some of those soundtracks in that kind of era, so late 90s, early noughties, you know, there is a certain kind of chunk, chunk, chunk thing, which I'm always like, yeah, Danny Elfman. Mm -hmm. I know Danny Elfman, you know? Mm -hmm. And sometimes make me think less of Danny Elfman because of that. But then I think of Edward Scissorhands and I think that's an incredible Danny Elfman score. Just throwing that out there. Nothing to do with Spider Man Homecoming. So, apologies. Continue well, well, about well, Michael Gitchino. Well, now, now that you started on this tangent, I've I got I to follow up. Um, I actually, because uh, I was getting into a bit of a mini discussion regarding the best Batman movie, we're really on a tangent now, aren't we? Um, and uh, because I love the uh, score, and I think Batman Mask of the Phantasm is the best Batman film, period. And the score by Shirley Walker in that film is sublime. And the person I was uh, conversing with uh, countered that Danny Elfman, uh, Danny Elfman's score in Batman Returns was better, and that Batman Returns as a film was better. Uh, the Batman Returns film was better than Mask of the Phantasm, I think, is completely false. But he has a case to make when it comes to Danny Elfman's score. The score for Batman Returns is absolutely incredible and there is a couple of uh, tracks in that score uh, which are focused on Catwoman and those tracks are phenomenal. I highly recommend seeking those out. But back to Spider-Man. <laughs> um, Danny often scores Spider-Man. Uh, James Horner, the late great James Horner, uh, also scores Spider-Man, the amazing Spider-Man movies. And, most, and, and Hans Zimmer uh, also scores Spider-Man. Although his score, I'm, I'm as, 
I'm a huge Hans Zimmer fan. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2 is not a score I listen too often. And I shall leave it at that. Uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, <laughs> however, is a score I listen to every now and again because it's really, really good. Um, and it starts off, we have to mention the smile on my face when I heard the classic Spider-Man theme, but with Michael Giacchino's yes. orchestra. Yeah, was, lovely. Was awesome. Awesome, awesome, mm-hmm. awesome. Uh, I love that he did that. Um, and I hope that they do, I hope that they keep that again for uh, the future Spider-Man person. I know Spy- uh, Michael Giacchino is coming back to score Spider-Man Far From Home. So I hope he does that again because it was awesome. And the rest of the score isn't half bad either. The, the Spider-Man main theme is very, very fun. It's light. It's bouncy. There are multiple variations on that theme in the score. And it's very, very easy to make that score sneaky as well. And really, not only does it capture the essence of Spider-Man, but it captures the essence of this Spider-Man, this 15-year-old Spider-Man, this young, mm. super, super young Spider-Man. And it captures that very, very well. And I have listened to... Um, many different Spider-Man scores over the years, especially and, and, and even in recent times with Daniel Pemberton doing Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse and doing a very, very good job with it. Um, and then you consider the, the Raimi films as well. And all of those, it's interesting because, you know, all, all, of the, all, all of the scores capture the essence of Spider-Man, but in different ways. And also they the, the factor in where each Spider-Man is in their own personal lives. So you look at the score. You look at the score for Danny Elfman's Spider-Man. And it's more mature. You can say the same thing for the Spider-Man PS4 game. The score in that. Uh, so and yeah, and and the PS4, the Spider-Man PS4 game, which I alluded to earlier, that is scored by scored by John Pisano, uh, who is great and who scored the uh, the Daredevil uh, Netflix series and also the Defenders Netflix series. Uh, really, really great composer, and he factors in the fact. I mean, his score is definitely for mature Spider-Man as well. This Spider-Man Homecoming score is more unique because uh, the Spider-Man is the youngest Spider-Man we've ever seen in live action, and this definitely factors that in. There's also a really great villain theme as well for Michael Keaton's character, the Vulture, which crops up at multiple points. And the variations on each of those themes are really, really good. In terms of my favorite tracks on the score, um, so in addition to, obviously, the opening theme uh, from Spider-Man, which is easily... Uh, the most played track on the score, according to my iTunes. Wow, uh, not even close. Mm-hmm. Um, but the world is changing. Really great track. Academic decommitment, which is the first time I believe that we hear the Spider-Man theme. And then at the very end of the score, we got no frills, no frills protocol or protocol, uh, which is the uh, sort of a very bombastic rendition of Gatino Spider-Man theme, which we hear at the very very end of the movie. Uh, right before uh, Marissa Tomei's Aunt May uh, goes, what the F? Um, And then, of course, Spider-Man Homecoming Suite, which is probably my favorite track on the score. So, yeah, this is a really, really strong, really dense score. Michael Michael Cucina's time in the MCU so far has been great, and I look forward to seeing what he comes up with in the future. Thank you. Uh, uh, My final note regarding Spider-Man Homecoming is I always found it somewhat very sneaky how uh they titled it homecoming and how they were marvel were very they knew what they were doing by saying he's coming home he's coming to the mcu this is the real spider-man i always like thought that was a very sneaky way of just kind of uh putting a certain uh power play and just saying 
this is where he's supposed to be. <laughs> and I love it, but equally, it's it's a sneaky move. But fair fair play, I guess they can. Um, any final thoughts uh, from yourself, Sabina? I think we pretty much uh, covered it. I think it's I think it's a good fresh, good fresh film, a nice breath of fresh air after the yeah upsetting <laughs> I mean yeah upset me of kind of the darker um hued color palette of of the civil war I think it's breath of fresh air this one I really like it oh that was it that's what I was gonna say um also have you just quickly um there's one little gesture like hand gesture Tom Holland does right at the end when they're talking about the debate um club and he just does this like little kind of you know flick with his with his hand that is the same hand gesture Robert Downey Jr. does in the beginning of Iron Man 2 just that little and they and I think (laughs) that's just a tiny little thing it's a very subtle thing but at the time I think I remember someone gift it and put them side by side on Twitter and everyone was like he is turning into Robert Downey Jr. this kid so as you say it's like legacy it's you know um, mentorship so it was just a nice little nice little touch to the game all right any any final thoughts Amon I like this movie okay (laughs) if I had had a mic I would drop it uh, but well, no, actually, I'm not going to drop it because I'm using it to record this podcast so sorry okay uh, that's Spider-Man Homecoming it all gets so much more exciting now because we're going to talk about this fourth series of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that's the next bit so hold on to your hats for that So it's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Series 4, and it pretty much all... I mean, if I'm honest, I feel like in Series 4, I feel like we're a long way from the Marvel movies because we don't get many mm-hmm. notes, really, no, not many connections. This is the uh, Ghost Rider season. So you can see, like, on, on some of the publicity for it, it doesn't say, like, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 4. It's like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Ghost Rider. Amon, how did you find Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Series 4? I thought it was brilliant. I think this is the best season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. we've gotten so far. And in large part, it's because of Ghost Rider. But we should mention that the series, the show does a very smart thing, sort of splitting itself up into uh, three uh, sort of of sections. So you've got the Ghost Rider bit, which is episode one one through eight. Then you've got... um, I can't remember what they call the next sort of phase. It, 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 it's to do with the Ada. robot phase. It's to do with Ada, Ada and um, sort of uh, the LMDs, which is a big uh, thing in the comics, which they bring it into uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. in a very smart way. And then they tie everything up uh, in the back half in really interesting ways too. I really, really enjoyed this. And, you know, I was sceptical a little bit uh, going in because I really like Ghost Rider. and. Um, I was skeptical of whether they'd be able to handle the effects in a smart way. There was also the fact that you know, Johnny Blaze is the ghost rider, the most well-known ghost rider in popular culture, shall we say, and they weren't going that way. They were going with Robbie Reyes, who is a ghost rider who has only recently sort of, you know, come to fruition and, and gotten his uh, own series. They bring him to life really well. I was really, really well. I was really impressed with uh, Gabrielle Luna's performance. 
And every time they do sort of go full Ghost Rider, it's really fun and exciting to watch. Um, and I really, really enjoyed uh, what, what what they do with the character in this. Yeah, I mean, Ghost Rider ultimately is somebody who's had a a, a couple of films. Two, uh, I think. Yeah. Two, yes, I, yeah, two. yes. The second one isn't as good, but the first one's incredible. It's fantastic. I would I wouldn't go as far as fantastic. <laughs> uh. <laughs> it's good fun. It's, I mean, it's got Nicolas Cage with a flaming skull head on a you know a, a motorcycle made of fire. Sam Elliott's in it. It's fantastic. It's it's just fun. It's just a good okay, we're not talking about we're not talking about, you know, MCU standard as we're talking about now. But um it's just a fun film. I mean I really like it. I will say that there there are are scenes in the film which I like, but I don't think the film is very good. Uh but there are scenes in the film which I definitely like like from uh, when um Ghost Rider and Sam Elliott's um sort of former Ghost Rider basically light up at the same time and ride to San Vegansa. That is an awesome scene. It's the best scene in the movie by it's far. Awesome. It's awesome. about 30 seconds, but it's by far the best sequence. And there, and there are some really cool bits to that film. He, yeah. he, he rides up and down the building, um, that sort of thing. And, and and that is cool. But, you know, if I were to, if, I, if you were to ask me, is Ghost Rider, the first Ghost Rider, a good film, I would say no. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, 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 but I did enjoy it. That's why I like yeah. it. It's just good. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's weird how then they kind of get this kind of cinematic character, I guess, and he's now on TV. And I don't think, if I'm honest, I was not a big fan of the, the special effects of the skull. Oh, I was a bit... I mean... You're going you're gonna to have to elaborate for me here, son, because <laughs> well, I, mean, I, like, I really digged it. I really liked it. I really liked it. Liked and bear in mind, this is on a TV budget. It's really impressive. It's very similar to the film. I mean, it's not that much different to what they do Ghost Rider on the film. So, uh, yeah, not, not with the D, it's quite good. It's good. I mean, they do what with they do what they're best with what they've got, and you can't knock them for it. So, well, I am knocking them for it. That's literally <laughs> the I'm knocking them because I thought it was bad. <laughs> I mean, I agree. I agree with Sabina in that you know they're doing the best with what they can, and I. Personally, think that you know it comes to life really quite well. Yeah. If you were to, to, to tell me that they're as good as they are in the Ghost Rider film, I would do a hard disagree because the uh, first time uh, Johnny Blaze transforms into Ghost Rider mm-hmm. in the first movie is absolutely it's it's, it's, it's absolutely incredible, and there's nothing on there's nothing in Agents of Shield which can match that. The the, the, the film one is, is next level, but I still really uh, was impressed by what they managed to pull off. I mean, obviously, being a Ghost Rider fan and sort of seeing the films and knowing what he's capable of, I wanted more, but I was really impressed by, by what we got, and especially in the final episode where he comes back, mm-hmm. um, it's really, really cool because he has that fight with Ada and a few LMDs in like the first opening 10 minutes, and it's awesome. And Simon, you can't tell me when he transforms then that that isn't impressive. Look, I mean, I think, as we've said before, you know what I mean, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. always, the problem is always their budget doesn't match the ambition. Um, But I do like, I mean, I like uh, Robbie Reyes. I like the character. He's a good addition to the team. I like how you kind of have this kind of, uh, no, like, understanding between him and Daisy and Quake. You know what I mean? I think that's a nice 
connection. So I think in that respect, I mean, I, you know, I, I can give it a pass on the basis that I like him. Would I want to see more of him? Is the special effects that bad? I, I would like to see more of him. Yes. Um, you know, special effects aren't that bad. You know, and you won you over. Those, <laughs> those moments towards the end of the series. And when he does come back, that is good. It is funny, though, like that first eight episodes, we have, you know, Ghost Rider. We have these kind of zombie villain and this people. One of which, may I add, is Jack McPhee from Dawson's Creek. So Dawson Creek fan, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so he turns up for like two for two episodes or something, and this spooky book called The Dark Hold, which basically, to, to summarize, The Dark Hold basically does anything, anything you want it to do. If you're writing a script and you want it to create an amazing, scary thing, The Dark Hold is responsible for it. Uh, so <laughs> I, I, I never truly understood the uh, science and the real workings of The Dark Hold. I mean, you're not really meant to. And again, that doesn't bother me. We're in, we're in the comic book universe. We've got things like the Tesseract running around. You know, there's so many MacGuffins which can do so much with you know, so little explanation. It, didn't, it wasn't that much of a stretch for me to go with it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I, clearly you, it was for you. You, <laughs> you, you don't obviously want to come around on that. It's sci-fi. Come on, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know. How did you find all of this then, Sabina? I loved it. I thought it was good fun. I really enjoyed this series. Um, did you like? Did you like Mac and Yo-Yo? Yes, I did I loved too. Them I them together. Were. Yes, and I think possibly my favorite. Yeah, they are my. They're they're probably my favorite couple in the series. Um, obviously, you got um, Coulson and uh and uh may but i i just really really like mac and yo-yo and i think towards the end of the series um what transpires and i think it was absolutely gut-wrenching what happened um and and just they do very, and it was just so well acted and but i i love them i yeah i want to see more of them together I'm very much more Mac and Yo-Yo yeah. over Fitz and Simmons. I mean, Fitz and Simmons, Fitz and Simmons are, are sweet, but it's kind of yeah. too predictable um, in yeah. some respects, you know. You even have points when uh, people turn around and they're like saying, uh, you know what I mean? Why are we doing this mad, her- crazy thing which is putting our lives at risk? And it's because your love, your love between Fitz and Simmons is real. And it's like... That's a stupid reason. Don't put your life on the line. Like, that, that's not the right reason to do this. Uh, but we have to. We, we Man, go with it. No, I, I, I like Fitz and Simmons, and honestly, sweet. You know, we, we, we haven't we haven't uh, gotten into the performances much yet. But when um, the sort of you know, robot storyline really begins to take <gasps> hold, yes. and you get numerous doubles of uh, of characters. I think the people who perform best, actually, I think the person who performs it better than anybody, and, and again, he he has he has more to chew on than anybody. So you know, I, I guess in some respects that's you know you know warranted. But Ian DeCastica, who plays Fitz, Fantastic. is incredible in this. Uh, the, 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 there's one moment uh, in the in in this season. Uh, it's kind of late on in season four where in in the has been has been replaced. And he tries to take out the real life Gemma, and mm. Gemma gets the upper hand and basically has to kill a robot Fitz. He's still, you know, very much lifelike, but it's still a robot Fitz. 
the acting in that sequence is phenomenal. And mm. he, he deserves a lot of praise. We should also give a shout out to Mallory Jan- Jansen, who plays Ada. And as she the season progresses, she just gets better and better and better. It's a really, really impressive performance. So, um, yeah, I, I, a part of me wishes that we, you know, she, she got to stay on because she was so good. Um, but, you know, the Ghost Rider had other ideas. There was one part, and I thought she was playing probably about three different versions of the same character. Um, yeah. And what she does, yeah, so so engaging. Um, and you just want to see what she does next. You just completely, completely entranced by her. Um Obviously, we as we as we know in the MCU, like villains are often very very enticing. Um, she's it's, it's it's just so there's so much in this series. You think oh it's slowing. You think towards the middle oh you know what else where else can they go? And then they bring up something like the um, isodyne thing. Obviously, that was a, a you know harking back to to the second series of Agent Carter. So you see this whole looping ground of the the tv shows it's so good i just i just wanted i know i didn't know where the series is going to go and i'm really glad where it ended up yeah i mean i think what i want one thing i did like is this kind of kind of self-awareness mm. element to it so for example they do mention obviously when we're talking about robots that are very lifelike and very real and ai you know, they do say, like, doesn't anyone remember Ultron? Yeah. Which obviously in the MC wouldn't have been that long ago. Um, but at the same time, you've got this weird thing with, between Mac and Yo-Yo as they constantly reference all these, like, the Terminator films and <laughs> all these different sci-fi movies and how, like, this is why we don't do this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, it does, yeah. like, turn into this huge thing which dominates the entire series. Um, so it's kind of weird. So on one level, it's completely ripping off, you know, your Terminator type of thing and that type of sci-fi plot. But at the same time, it's kind of referencing it, so you kind of give it a pass. It's kind of a clever way of doing this it. This series really, really reminded me of Fringe. Did you ever see Fringe? Oh, Fringe, Fringe is one of my favourite all-time shows. It's incredible. There was an episode of Fringe when they kind of go into this alternate yeah, yeah. existence. And even Nimoy is there, and even the... And the Treskelion looked like the, the the tower or whatever whatever I can't remember because it was so long ago the um the, the building in Fringe, so it really really reminded me of that. And then other respects, I've only seen a bit of it though. It reminded me of Westworld when yeah. you've got this kind of simulation of the alternates going under and being put you know into this other other dimension, but only through, you know, internal brain function. Well, see, I was anticipating, because I, I heard a lot of people say that this, this series has this time travel element to it. It's not really time travel, no. is it? It's just a completely alternate... I don't want to say it's the quantum realm, but it's it's like... Something yeah, like that, yeah. The fringe, um, the, the fringe, the shield version of the quantum realm to some extent. So, yeah, we have this kind of alternate what if reality what was it the framework yeah. another creatively titled uh, thing <laughs> it's a kind of framework what should we call it <laughs> the framework <laughs> uh, and so you know that's cool and i and i did like that and i did and ultimately the finale with regards to mac uh. and his daughter and the conflict between or well, what do you do again reminds me of the matrix and the whole thing with cipher 
and his position like actually i'm quite happy being ignorant to that like that's the more cynical way but obviously the mac and his daughter no, that's good. such a it is such a that was such a difficult thing yes. to watch and then to really see it play out was uh was pretty pretty impressive an impressive turn and a bold decision i think they could have very easily just avoided that but that was that was great and also trip agent trip, oh, trip. Yeah. and that again is yeah oh it you know, you they sort of dangle a carrot and then they you know put it away from us. Um yeah. but it was great to see him again and um It was so funny because you just can see how like they clearly really like the actor and they yeah. clearly like his role Aww. and it's weird. But then it is it, it, it again it is a nice way of just it the whole context of this framework, you know, we have wards as a good guy and that in this framework he is just this nice guy. Uh, that's you know, it's it's a clever way to get all the old old team back and and see them all in a different different place. And of course, yeah, things like the Hydra and all the Skellion and all that, the Triskelion and all that kind of stuff. It is great to see too. But I think we talked about it before, even in the prior series. I mean, the amount of times um, Ming Na Wen has played different versions of Melinda May, whether it be scarred version of Melinda May, whether it be uh, May, who's kind of under the influence of something or may the kind of robot version it's like that every single actor seems to be repeated and i swear there is a money-saving justification for using the same actor in multiple roles uh but you know hey this was a great way to do it (laughs) maybe but it's still freaky at the same time yeah, yeah, absolutely. Freaky. And I think, like, uh, like, like you said, Amon, I think it pushes the actors to kind of really show their chops. And uh, in most cases, you know, that, that's worth seeing. That's great, indeed. They also one thing which I think is is great. Well, I don't know if it, I don't know if it's great actually. Is how because they're robots, uh, they can get away with a hell of a lot of violence. Um, like they you, just you see smash rip, stuff up, pull and things. ripping heads yeah. off and pulling parts of it and granted we're looking at like oh yeah they're robots so they're not real but there's something quite graphic about it i always find um because it just seems a little bit uh, too close uh but but you know especially considering you know this is you know kids will be watching this i guess you know Mm. um but i did like also how fits at the end has this much more profound understanding of ward the very you know very very complicated version of basically saying that different circumstances creates a different type of person yeah. you know mm-hmm. what i mean uh, and that is basically it but it's uh you know we see it all play out and fitz is just my mind is blown i'm a incredibly intelligent person but that never yeah. crossed my mind yeah. uh- <laughs> i will say you know i'm not sure i'm still wrestling with it to be honest but we're killing off the director or the director inverted commas in the framework i would have preferred if he was going to go out have them go out in the real world. And I was surprised that they didn't sort of, you know, write it in such a fashion that, as they did with the other characters, to convince him that he was in a stimulation. So the so his death wasn't as effective as it could be, I don't think, because it was in the framework. We haven't really talked about uh, Jeffrey Mace as a character, but I thought he was a solid addition. Yeah, I thought he was a solid. Mm. I liked him as well. I thought he was a very good addition. I, I suspect that they wanted to make sure that the stakes were high in the framework. Like if, if none of them died in the framework, you would, you kind of wouldn't believe that they could have yeah. kind of thing. And I think by that, that happening, you're like, Oh God, 
they could die in there. But then, of course, it ends and we're in space. Yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah, Captain Marvel territory in, in space. But didn't <laughs> you didn't you realise there was so much talk about this is our end game in this series? They kept saying that. There was a couple yeah, of people saying that. Yeah, this is our yeah. end game. Um, Marvel knew all along. I, yeah. yeah, I've got a feeling that they just use the term too much. <laughs> yeah, I think they just do. But it's it's strange now because obviously this is the the forefront mm. of our minds and you just every time you hear that word in like um, a marvel related show yeah, no, you're just I, like, what <laughs> what was that have they planned this but um yeah it was it was good it was a good series i enjoyed it a lot okay so that is series four of shield uh which we've discussed we're not going to be talking about shield now for for a little bit because we're going to have runaways and cloak and dagger coming up so uh you know the next time we'll be discussing this will be uh, season five in its entirety uh but there you go after this we'll be ranking uh, spider-man Homecoming. okay uh we're gonna rank spider-man homecoming i'm i'm a bit curious because i feel like as positive as we have been whether it will even crack the kind of top end, I'm not sure it will. I'm not. I'm, I don't know if it will for me. Um, on do you want to go first? Because yeah, you go first. Where do you want to put Spider-Man: Homecoming? Come back to me. <laughs> I've never said. I've never said that before, but I'm gonna have to ask yeah. you to come back to me. Okay, I think for me, I'm I'm gonna put Spider-Man: Homecoming. I think it's gonna be what will be in eighth place. So um, from the mm. bottom. Um, It'll go for the Dark World in 16th, Iron Man 2, Iron Man, Incredible Hulk, Captain America, First Avenger, Doctor Strange, Guardians of the Galaxy, Thor, and then Spider-Man Homecoming, and then Avengers Age of Ultron, Ant-Man, Iron Man 3, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Winter Soldier, Avengers Assemble, and Civil War at the top. That's me. I still can't um, believe you have Iron Man that low. That is a travesty. I know it's um, terrible. <laughs> I, I find it, do you know what? Actually, I, I, actually, I, I kind of, I think we've done enough podcasts to, yeah, it's like, yeah, that is, that is, that is pure Simon. I, I, I'm honest. I, I it, Iron Man is one which is always very high on people's list, and I think there is a nostalgia and a kind of oh my classic. Like it's it, just because a, you dislike Tony Stark. That's yeah, the yeah, only yeah, reason. You're right. If, if you dislike the main character, that's always going to be a problem. But Spider Man. Is amazing, so I love him, and that's why he's in effectively at the eighth position for me. Um, Amon, what about yourself? Okay, I'll go from the top uh, to the bottom. Number one, Captain America: Civil War. Number two, Captain America: The Winter Soldier. Number three, Avengers: Age of Ultron. Number four, Avengers: Assemble. Number five, Guardians of the Galaxy. And uh, number six, Iron Man. Number seven, Doctor Strange. Number eight, Spider-Man: Homecoming. Uh, number nine, Thor. Number 10, Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2. Number 11, Captain America, the First Avenger. Number 12, Ant-Man. Number 13, Iron Man 3. Number 14, Iron Man 2. Number 15, Thor, the Dark World. Number 16, The Incredible Hulk. Okay, Sabina, it's over to you. Yeah. Okay, just put put an eighth just for the sake of, you know, whatever. Yeah, we'll, we'll be 
teammates here on this. Okay. So, I've, I've, I mean, uh, very I'm just, I'm very mixed. I do, it becomes more difficult now, you see, because then we're going to be talking about Black Panther. We're going to be talking about Infinity War. We're going to be talking about Ragnarok. My God, gosh, when we talk about Ragnarok, I can't wait for that. <laughs> okay. Um, you're, just, you're going to be throwing them all over the place. Yeah. Don't, yeah. Don't care. I'm going to Black just, Panther, number 10. Yeah. No, right, right. Number no, I don't know if it'd be number. Yeah, I'll just, I'll just okay. put them all in a hat. Just draw out names at this rate because I've got the ones I've got. I've got my definitive like favourites, but I've never, I've never pit them against each other before. So. It's very tricky. Yeah, well, again, you know, you've th- you've threatened completely changing your list, and you're absolutely welcome. Uh, yeah, to. I'm gonna. When you are ready, you're welcome to like Thank reveal you. a renewed list. I might, all, I might do yeah. that next week in in honor of Black Panther. Uh, there's no pressure. So. There's no pressure. Okay. There's no pressure. It'll Just, all change. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so that's our, our that's our ranking, and that that brings us to the end of uh, the Birdman episode uh, on Spider Man Homecoming. Um, where can people find more of your work, uh, Sabina? I'm on Twitter at Sabina Stent, um, and sometimes messing around with the Marvel Rap Twitter handle as well. So, but usually on my own, just chat there. We we'll just have a nice chat. Okay, and uh, yourself, Amon. <laughs> what about you? You can find me on Twitter at a woman and you can find all my work there and in the month you can find my summer 20 summer blockbuster 2019 a montage assuming i can get it done in time Excellent. oh i'm so excited i would i did notice that when you shared the one from last year was like 26th of april which is like the time the end game uh, coming out yes so. indeed very exciting okay and i'm on a twitter as well at screen insight but of course you've got at marvel rap as well uh, to follow us too um but yeah we'll call it a call it a day there and we'll see you on the next episode thank you very much for a drop of blood. Okay, uh, we've got to that little bit at the end where we're going to just talk in-game uh, to our entire, to, as much as we want. Uh, but Amon's got a little bit, something a little bit different up his sleeve. Uh, reveal all, uh, Mr. Warman. <laughs> okay, so yeah, today... Uh, 21st Century Fox tweeted in <laughs> tweeted very funnily actually in all caps. It was a very very loud tweet. Uh, but 21st Century Fox announces completion of distribution in connection with Disney acquisition, which basically means that the Fantastic Four and the X Men are now under the purview of one Mr. Kevin Feige uh, and Marvel. They are now basically part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, which is a big deal. Um, those characters uh, are, you know, huge. They've, they've never had a chance to be a part of the universe. And we saw sort of the, the kind of really amazing storytelling that can happen when Spider-Man joined. And now with, uh, with Marvel moving into a new phase post-Endgame, the acquisition really couldn't have been better timed. Um, so I'm really excited to see what they're going to do. I mean, Bear in mind, I mean, th- these characters are great, and in with the X Men franchise, there there have been some uh, sort of good movies and good ideas done. I think Logan is one of the best 
comic book movies of all time, period. I think it's sensational. Um, but the Fantastic Four, um, they there have been three tries at it, and none of them have been really all that great. Um, I have complete faith in Kevin Feige and his track record and what the Marvel Cinematic Universe has done speaks for itself. So of all the characters, of all the sort of new teams uh, of heroes that, uh, that, have, that are coming this way, uh, the Fantastic Four is the one I'm most intrigued by. I also think that Doctor Doom is one of the best uh, villains in all in all the comics. He's arguably the best villain in Marvel comics. I, I think he's uh, incredible. Um, and again, they've had multiple tries at it with 21st Century Fox and never really gotten him right. If they get Doctor Doom right, I think he could be one of, if not the next big bad of the MCU, um, because he does have the capabilities in multiple comics to basically go up against all the heroes and win um, single-handedly. Um, so that just just imagining that visual potential visual on screen is excited to think about. So uh, yeah, I'm you know very excited for what this acquisition means for Marvel. I think you know if we're talking larger context, then it's a bit of a shame because you know Disney acquiring all these companies and, you know, all these, all these products, it's a scary proposition in that, you know, a lot, much of the entertainment that we're watching is coming from one studio, which is not a good thing. Um, but in terms of what it means for Marvel, there's it, it, many good things. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, we, we, I won't get, I mean, uh, like yourself, I mean, I don't think the, the bigger picture, I wouldn't be too pleased with, especially considering now the Murdoch empire is going to funnel all their resources exclusively into the domain of uh, their news division, which is not necessarily the best thing at all, but ignoring that <laughs> and just focusing on the positives and we, this is the Marvel rap. So we're talking about Marvel things. Um, yeah, you know, I, I just think it's kind of just such an enormous quantity of, mater- of material that they can play with. It's almost, you know, you kind of think to yourself, like, the introducing, introducing of these odd characters, the one character here and there, these origin stories of these one characters here and there, and then suddenly you have the X-Men, which is just like, you know, literally just tens of characters, all very interesting suddenly just thrown out there. And you kind of think for all the effort as well, we've been talking about with the shield, uh, with the kind of talk of inhumans and the talk of, you know what I mean? Mutant or how they can't use the word mutants. And now that's now on the table. And so you kind of worry that that's going to kind of almost mark a void in all that kind of setup, which they're not going to build into because now they can literally use the term mutants if they want to. But don't forget, it's also for Scarlet Witch because in the comics, she's Magneto's daughter. Yes. So, and and when um, in Ultron, they they got they worked around the issue by by they couldn't say she was mutant. She wasn't. She's not a mutant in the MCU. She's just um, an enhanced human. Um, so powered, a powered person. person. So that was how they got they got away with the with the licensing thing because I think at the time there was meant to be another film out. Um, the X Men film was meant to feature another like the the X Men version of Scarlet Witch, and I think um, 
I can't remember exactly what happened, if the character was still in the finished cut or if the character was cut. Well, I think it was Quicksilver who was in both films. Yeah, and I think they they cut Scarlet Witch's role because they actually had cast cast an actor for for that part. Um, So it's going to be very interesting now, especially with the Disney Plus um, streaming service because we're going to have the the Scarlet Witch and Vision series, how they will... um, address the merger if they'll continue along she's enhanced or if they're working a kind of a mutant angle as well i wonder if they'll have to have a whole like new reckoning well an alternate universe to kind of build up the different ones which will cross over which will play around with each other but like like you know right now the idea on the on the planet earth in the mcu you've already got all the avengers and then you've got that and then if you start throwing in the x-men and they're running around destroying cities as well and saving cities and saving the earth it might just be a bit too busy to coordinate all of that and by having alternate universes they can drop into each other's universes as and when they see fit i'm hoping we're gonna get a house of m comic i'm a house of m like um comic book um adaption because that what what's the house that's of m? A, a story and that incorporates the x-men and the avengers and scarlet which has a, a breakdown and she kind of creates this alternate universe kind of alternate landscape so you've got the characters like you've got cap and you've got wolverine and and everyone and that and so it is some respects not too dissimilar i suppose from from the framework when they're trying to break the cycle of this dimension that she's created and it's very very good um i believe she also eliminates uh, all the mutants. She does, yeah. She kind of like, you know, because when she well, cause she's never more powerful than when she's upset. Um, so it just creates this cataclysmic chain reaction. And I'd love to see that on the big screen, but I just, I don't know if it would be how they would do it. But I think it, it would be so fascinating to see it, to see it happen. What about yourself, Amon? Are there any particular stories from the comics you really would like to see on the big screen now that certain that certain things are, are in place? Um, uh, nothing is being. Att- I mean, there's obviously the there's always going to be now that the scrolls have been introduced into the MCU. Um, there's always going to be the looming threat of secret invasion, um, and I don't expect them to do a like for like. Um, sort of adaptation because you know Marvel haven't done that since opening day basically. Um but it will be interesting if they do incorporate some elements from that um how that would look in the MCU. And you know so far we know that the Russos um they said that you know after Avengers Endgame they're taking a break from the MCU um, and they have already said that the one film which would lure them back into working with the MCU is to do an adaptation of Secret Invasion. Um, and we all know how much Marvel loved the Russo's at this point. So um, that's always a possibility. But, you know, Marvel have been very, very good over the, over the entire MCU of incorporating elements from comics, um, but not the full uh, comic book arc. Like we've had elements 
from Captain America of from Civil War and Captain America Civil War. We've had elements of Planet Hulk in Thor Ragnarok, um, uh, as we will discuss very very soon. Um, so if we get any of the stories um, which have included Fantastic Four and X Men uh, in the MCU, now that they are in the MCU, uh, don't expect them to be uh, the full story. Just expect elements to be pitched in there. Well, I think it'd be great just to just to kind of imagine a kind of reboot of the X-Men. We've we've had this X-Men world uh for so long. Um it's just the idea of a completely fresh take on it would be kind of interesting. I I'd, I'd be looking forward to that. X-Men, you know, they are a franchise and you know, a host of characters who I really really like, but there's a film coming out this summer, X-Men Dark Phoenix. I'm not excited to see it in the least. And that, that's for that's for numerous reasons. I mean, the trailers don't look great. The timeline is all screwed up. Um, and the fact that this is the third telling of this sort of comic book arc in the, in the last 15 years or so is frustrating. I think, for me, that's the biggest reason why, you know, I'm really not hyped for it. Putting the X-Men into the MCU with people who have shown repeatedly that they understand these characters and understand how to bring them to life on the big screen. It's a whole, it makes me very excited. It's the same thing with Spider-Man, with what what happened when Spider-Man was brought into the MCU because that was coming off the back of uh, the two amazing Spider-Man films, which left a lot to be desired, shall we say. And the moment uh, Spider-Man was introduced into the MCU, people started loving him again. Um, you know, not least because of Tom Holland's, you know, who's perfectly cast and gave a great performance. So the fact that now these characters um, get to come and play as well, even though it might be in a universe in which uh, we're not going to see Iron Man and the Captain America and those sort of characters very often, um, it's still a very, very exciting prospect. And I think it will start. I think it will, it will start to make people a lot more excited about the X Men again. And Fantastic Four. And we might even get that Deadpool Logan <laughs> crossover <laughs> that Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman have been teasing on social media. I think they'll I think that they, they you have to think they're gonna have to wrap up um the X-Men, the current X-Men timeline. And I suspect the Deadpool Wolverine crossover would be the final finishing touch. You'll have your Dark Phoenix, your X-Men, your then your Wolverine and Logan crossover, and that'll be the end of that timeline that's what i think but then again as soon as far as soon as they release like their their mcu relief release dates i mean they can say whatever they want i mean they could be like we're gonna do an x-men movie in 2021 and you know i mean they don't have to have anything in place at the moment and they can just say that and then suddenly the ball is rolling and then everything comes into place after that point it'll be interesting to see that mcu release date schedule which will come out very soon after Endgame. i think they said it's homecoming um black widow movie no my point they can say whatever they want well they? yeah if they're talking about a film released in 2022 they don't even have to have a script you know what i mean yeah. they just have to have their vision as to what's going to happen going forward and obviously now that they have these properties they can just say that you know um because if it, like i said if it's released in 2022 then they can they can say anything it doesn't matter we're probably going to get that big... but we would be all crazy oh, yeah. excited for we're it. we're probably going to get that big announcement like we had was it five six years ago when they mapped out yeah. all their 
Oh, yeah, yeah, we, we will. Until like this year. And we were like, wow, Vegas for the Re, yeah. what's that? And, and, you know, it's it was I just, completely agree yeah. with you. And to be honest, I hate that we know so much about what's coming already. Because... It's a little bit of a spoiler. It's just, I mean, part of the reason why that day and that reveal was so amazing is because nobody knew anything. Um, yeah. And, you know, if he makes... Uh, if, if we get another sort of panel, you know, on a special day laying out everything, we know, like, at least six of the movies which they got planned after Spider-Man Far From Home. And that, to me, is a little bit frustrating, not only because it will take some of the pizzazz out of, you know, out of that announcement, mm. but because... And I know, you know, you know being a guy who, you know, is very... I'm not, no, 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 I'm not going to say that, because even if, you, even if you're not a big MCU fan, even if you're not a big movie fan, you do still implicitly know that, you know, after Avengers Infinity War, some of these characters are coming back. But it would have been nice if Marvel hadn't already revealed Definitely. that, you know, oh, Spider-Man's coming, oh, Black Panther 2 is coming, oh, Doctor Strange 2 is coming. And the fact that we already know all these things is a bit frustrating to me. Um, so, but I, obviously I'm still looking forward to, to, to that announcement. It should be fun. Well, I think, I mean, uh, th- it's definitely one that which will uh, keep us going. And in 10 years, guys, we might do another 20 episodes <gasps> yeah. of another, you know, the, the, the next Marvel rap and, you know, we'll have, you know, who knows? You know, it would be <laughs> cool. this is going to go on yeah. for a long time. We're here for the long haul <laughs> <laughs> until our so end that's game. True. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Okay. Uh, and, and with that final note, uh, I, I bid you adieu, and we will speak to you very soon.